Let's drone out. dress like this why why have you made me dress like this jack because it's halloween no look at me i'm scary i just actually look like i'm out of a 90s rave <laughs> I, I was just gonna say are we at an electronic music festival and somebody <laughs> didn't notify me well jack gave me two minutes to get ready so this is uh my two minutes i'm hot can i take this yeah yeah i immediately ripped mine off um <laughs> Right, so we are joined by Scary Tony, or 90s Rave Tony. Say hello, Tony. Oh, he's not, he can't hear me. <laughs> I can hear you. Yeah, we were joined by Scary 90s Raving Tony. What's up? And our special guest, Quad McFly. Hey, guys. Right, so unfortunately, uh, I don't know whether I should do this, but um, unfortunately, we've lost someone dear to us, and that is uh, Jay's dad, so... I'd like to dedicate this episode to him, and that's why he's not here. Sorry, right. So, anyway, Quad McFly, you may, or Ryan, you may not know that back in the early days of Let's Drone Out, um, I once read on an episode your list of ESCs, you know, um, the RC Timer ones with the SN20s and everything, and you did like a little table and had thrust tests. And I was reading it out and I was with Jay. He couldn't be here today, but this is what who this episode's made for. This was going to be his worst nightmare where I sit there and read out your data sheets. And because after on that episode, I read out your, your list of data and I was like, yep, the Cobras, I generate the most thrusts with the, the X Nova, like, oh, just, you know. And uh, he was like, after I read everything out, he was just like, Great, we've got no listeners. Everyone's in a coma. <laughs> Everyone's asleep. So um, you were quite influential at the beginning of Let's Drone Out. And I don't know what episode it is. If anyone knows, please write it in the chat. But yeah, believe it or not, you're a big name on this show <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> well, I was completely unaware. So that's, uh, that's good to know. So um, I hear that you've got a HD cam now. Yes, uh, interesting story on that one. I that was I, I got to be honest, that totally totally blew me away. Um I was not expecting that. So, should I tell the story? Yeah, 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 please. That's what Okay, you're so I was chatting with um Richard from Multicopter Builders about uh motor tests that I had just done uh, on one of his new motors and I was uh we were talking about the the best props for that given you know particular motor, and I said, well, you know, the this one prop is pretty good. So I uh, I, I linked to, to a video I posted on my YouTube channel, which was of course SD because I haven't flown HD up until recently, and uh, Richard was like, why are you sending me this crap? <laughs> so I uh, I basically you know was like, well, you know, HD cameras are expensive, and I'm not sure I'm ready to invest in something like that when there's so many things that are pertinent to flying that I can spend my money on, and things are a little tight. Um, so he's like, well, man, we got to fix that. So, of course, he goes and posts in Mini Quad Club, hey, let's help a brother out. And uh, within, uh, I'd say within about eight hours, I had $500 worth of donations uh, to wow. to get me a uh, an HD camera. I was just totally blown away. Not, you know, I would... I did not expect that and, and would never ask ask for that kind of, of thing. But it's been it's been nice. So anybody who donated, here's the, the results. There's there's my lovely uh HD camera attached to my uh my freestyle quad and uh, also big shout out to Tim Nilsson for uh for the frame on that one. Um, no, uh what frame is it? Uh, this is the QAVR five inch. Uh, so uh, Tim Nelson from Good FPV uh, gave me that frame as well. Yep. If you if you haven't figured it out, uh, Tony didn't know who you were. He was like quad. <laughs> so uh, bless him. 
So I, I knew he was a testing guy, but I got him mixed up with the, um, is it quad moves? Yeah. So I got no, the up. freestyle, right, freestyle yeah, yeah. guy. So I was like, oh, oh, who we got on the one who flies? And like, no, it's the one who tests. <laughs> well, I have, you know, been, I, I, I'd like to think that I've been improving recently, but no, quad mover is uh, ridiculous. Quad, quad mover, that's it. That's who I thought you were. No, yeah, he's, he's... Well, I know who you are. Jack's just been an ass. Yeah, I know. I, I, I sorry. Actually, I think Tony, you were one of the ones who contributed for my GoPro, if I remember correctly. You, I may have been. Oh wow! Look at Tony. I, I didn't know if anyone had. Plus, I'm. I've got no money. But there you go. But <laughs> yeah. I would have. Well, a lot of us have no money because we're spending it all on pieces that actually keep us in the air. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Um, what What are you running on your quad anyway? Because I'm sure everyone wants to know. They want to know your kids. They want to. Honestly, I run whatever I have extras of from testing, so <laughs> I'm not very picky on, on the equipment. This uh, this particular setup is um, Tornado T2s, 2206, 2300 kV, um, Acon version 2, 30 amps, uh, the, you know, the, the new ones with the new capacitors. Yep. Are you running D-Shot on that yet? Uh, not yet. I haven't had a chance to actually download that and flash it. I've just been kind of dealing with what's on here for now. Um, I'm planning on doing that for sure within the next little bit here. Um, so running, uh, I know, I know, don't hate me. I'm running Spectrum. So I've got the... Um, oh, no. It's a Halloween it was, episode. <laughs> uh, yes, I know, horrors, the horrors. Um, <laughs> but I'm running the um, the Orange RX, the R620X series that has the S-Bus output and supports analog telemetry. So I get the voice alerts on my radio. Um, running, uh, let's see, what camera is this? This is the Arrow version one, which don't get me started on that. Um, well, uh, I regret buying that one. Yeah. Um, but it works, and so it's in here. Um, Hub OSD, the, uh, the Eco X version, uh, with the, the thing out the side instead of, uh, instead I'm not of sure I like that. a long one. What, what do you mean? Uh, what the, what don't you like, Tone? It looks like it could get caught and broke easy. Well, yeah, that's why I, I you can see I always I solder a length of wire on there. Oh, yeah, you've so got it. I never direct solder the XT60s well. for yeah, that so. very reason, actually. But um, are you, are you yeah, the video idea? transmitter uh, is, is uh, the Hobby King one, the Quantum Q, uh, Q58. This is the... 400 milliwatt version on that one for freestyle and the Foxier antenna, just basic stuff. Like I said, most of it's whatever I have extras of from testing. Um, running the the these are the Dow 5045 uh, hybrid bullnose props, which let me tell you, those were a royal pain in the rear end to tune for a freestyle quad. What were they? What ones are they? The 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 uh, Dow 5045 uh, HBN tries. Mm. They uh, they have such a slow transition speed that uh, you really have to compensate for that in the tune pretty dramatically for freestyle. For racing, it doesn't really matter because yeah. um, you're not you know you're not expecting crisp crisp stops when you're racing. But it drives me nuts in freestyle. Well, so I can show you some really interesting graphs of that if you want. <laughs> yeah, do it, do it. I'm looking forward to the new Dow props, the Cyclones. Yes, I actually they should be delivered to me tomorrow. Um, thanks to Serge uh, from Pyroflip for sending I'm those over to Cody's going to send mine before the weekend from Hydro. He's got a lot in, I think. Yep, sorry. I'll just have a look. Uh, Bradders, why is Sheldon the man? I want to know. Yep, the Arrow 1. Haha, it's great racing, though. Yeah, V2s are okay, but quality and picture disappoints. He, um, he threw a, a, a TBS camera at me the other day. He hated that as well. Uh, hang on, let's, let me just go back on cam. Bradders only likes Lumineer cameras. That's the only I, one. I don't know. Like, hang on. Aren't the Lumineers just rebranded from other brands? Yeah, TBS zero zero. Yeah, that one's. I think that one's a rebrand too. Uh, so I, I don't know. I'm I'm quite happy with the HS one one seven, and then the what is it? The MX whatever you know the the twelve hundred TVL one. Yeah. Use... I haven't tried any of the high resolution ones yet. I just haven't had, I've got run cam swifts on pretty much everything else just because I really like the way the mounting works on it. Yeah. 
Oh, what well, the double really like screws? The, the metal screw brackets, the metal yeah. screw holders make a big difference. But yeah. uh, mostly, like I said, just whatever I have laying around. Well, I'm not that picky about equipment. Oh, flight controller on this bad boy, and I'm running these on almost everything, is the, um, this is the Flip 32F4, the 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 newer F4 version of the Flip is 32. The, is it called the Revo? It's it's based on the Revo. It's the same pin layout for the for the CPU for the MCU, but it's a slightly different uh, actual layout on the. You know, it doesn't have the those stupid blade connectors that I absolutely hate, and uh, it's and just got actual through hole solder connections and everything. And it's like I got them three for nineteen bucks each. So you know, at that. Yeah. And you have to flash it with a uh, Arduino. Sorry, that's an old reference joke. <laughs> oh, trust me. Hey, anyone I, knows what that's all about. My first squad was a was a Flip 32 1.5 or a Flip, not a Flip 32, a Flip 1.5. The Arduino. That's actually, believe it or not, that's how I got into quads. Is because I was into Arduino and robotics before quadcopters. So I, it was kind of a natural transition for me. I started looking around, and I was like, oh, hey, look, this is based on Arduino. That's easy. So I, uh, I, I picked I up understand a, that. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean I have to download drivers to install stuff? <laughs> you know? Oh, man. Sorry. Sorry, Tony. So, so do you like the uh, – has anyone tried the, the new Fox here? Is it Eagle? Or is the it Eagle. Eagle. Yeah, I haven't tried that one yet either. Apparently it's really good, but it's got a bit, bit, bit more latency. Yeah, that's what always makes me nervous. I, I mean, I'm so happy with the with the HS one one sevens and all the derivatives of that 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 whole Sony, you know, the Superhead two line. Yeah. That I'm I'm not really honestly looking for much else. If you want HD, you have a recording camera, I guess, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I do sure. find the uh, the Connex interesting. It's, I actually got a chance to try that at Flight Fest uh, uh, last year, um, mm. well, this year, but you know this last Flight Fest that just happened, um, and that was that was that was interesting. I I, I thought it was uh, I only, unfortunately I only got to fly the in uh, HQ mode because that's all they had it set up for at the time, and I definitely noticed the latency coming around. Uh, you know I almost nailed a gate going through. I tried to run the uh, tsunami time trial with it and that the two gates back to back at the top i almost just because i couldn't you know i almost hit it before i saw it um but uh that was with the um, the um use not the musics the other ones the weird headphone things yeah the weird headphone things um and wow. i think um i i had a really interesting conversation afterwards with some of the the guys who were there from um who were there from the the actual Connex company, um, Amamon. And uh, they said that a lot of the latency issues they were having were actually related to the HDMI input on the headsets, not handling the HQ mode very well, and then actually introducing latency um, past the transmitter or the so receiver. So I thought that was interesting. So I, I'll be curious to see as the technology progresses, if uh, the, the manufacturers who do the actual HD side of the you know the the eyeball side of things um, can maximize the the uh, efficiency and reduce the latency actually on the input side. I hope so. I hope Pat Shark are doing something. Right, who who knows? Who knows what they're up to? Because they re just released the HD V3s, haven't they? Yeah, I've heard really good things about those. Haven't had a chance to try them yet. Are they HD though, or do they just call themselves HD? Right, HD compared to what? I suppose. Yeah. 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 I don't know though. I mean, like as long as they sort out that the optic problem, you know, that's a step in the right direction, and the field of view is even larger. So, I don't, yeah, talking lie. with a couple of guys who have flown them, uh, they seem to have significantly reduced the the distortion around the edges in the HD V3s, so or the HD threes, whatever they're calling them. Um, so I'll be curious to see. I, the the version ones and version twos just did not fit my head right. I got to, you know, you get them on and you just can't get your eyeballs the right distance from the lenses to get it to actually work right. So I guess I have a weird head, I guess. <laughs> I just, I haven't moved from the Dom V2. Yeah, that's what I run. That's, I haven't, I haven't seen a need to move. Oh, uh, the, you know, the, the ASCs were interesting because they had everything except the HDMI input. And we're basically the same price, so um, 
but uh yeah i haven't really seen uh i'm not gonna go 16 by 9 i don't really no, want I, to i don't i don't want to do that plus yeah. I, I like the plastic cups where it doesn't let any light in i don't like all this foam faceplate thing i haven't actually tried the foam faceplate i know i mean they make the adapter right for the for the v2s but um it's been on my list to get eventually but again it's one of those things that's not keeping me in the air <laughs> yeah I, I i personally don't like it you can you get light coming in and well i actually punched a bunch of holes with a um with a, you know like a paper hole punch along the bottom edge of my uh my cups my eye cups because i was getting really bad fogging um when i first got them and that basically completely eliminated the fogging uh, except for some very very extreme circumstances so i get a little bit more light leak because of that than then they do come stock but it solved my problem and i've never never actually yeah, had, the only thing i do get is is fogging now and again but i normally put them on my head to warm up for yeah. before i fly for like five minutes and then it's normally all right i'm normally haven't got sweaty eyeballs <laughs> I, I i have though that's what you know my dom v1s you know i'm a big guy i sweat a lot and like no one needs to know that but yeah like now and again <laughs> out, out in the summer <laughs> i'd like put my goggles down and it would just be like a, a swimming pool in there man you need uh, eyeball deodorant yeah that's it like spray my face with actual deodorant <laughs> i know so i moved i moved to the dom v3s because i missed the dom the v1s but the edi third edition mark three whatever that means and um apparently there was th three iterations of those so yeah i bought i bought them missed out on the dom v2s and then went straight to the dom v3s but you know i i would love i'd love to get a set of hd v3s but they're going to be so much money you know especially in the uk that it's yeah. you know that is a lot of coke and whores what's well, even worse for you guys now right with the exchange rate oh my word yeah we have totally screwed and then uh, uh, you've possibly heard about the esa s a e i don't know tony what what's he called what what are we talking about you know the guys who want to regulate and you know no the prototype laws and all that sort of stuff yeah i know what you mean but i can't say e s e a s r or something yeah so... that's what i call them uh, fantastic got bleep that later well done tony <laughs> So, yeah, as, as you can imagine, I don't know whether you've heard the news on that. I haven't read the new um, thing, the, the new proposal that they've... There, there isn't, there's just a review that they've heard a lot, they've had a lot back. Do you want me to, Ryan, do you want me to post you a link so you can quickly skim over it? Yeah, sure. Okay, no worries, hang on, let me just find a link. Um, what what was I going to say? Uh, right, let's ask you some generic questions like, you know, hey, what's your... Um, What's been your favourite, most reliable bit of kit? Or what have you modified lately? Or from a list of questions over here. <laughs> go, go YouTube. Do you like the motors that you're running? <laughs> yeah, well, I've got too many quads, probably. How so many? I'm running a huge, a huge range of motors. I've, I've kind of settled on 2206s as my favourite. I really like the high-torque motors. Just they feel so much better to me in the air. Um, the response time for you know a lot of people underestimate the 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 response time when it comes to how a quad handles in the air um you know how fast can that propeller change speeds from one speed to the other it makes a massive difference in how well the pid controller can compensate for the things around it so outside forces so uh, a high torque motor on a on a lighter weight prop is going to give you very different handling characteristics from a heavy prop on a low torque motor which is often what we see a lot of times i mean you see a lot of guys running 2205 you know 2300 kv on on these five by four five by three hbns and that's a pretty slow prop on a fairly low torque motor so you're getting pretty pretty significant introduced latency just from the time that it takes the motor to react um to go from a, one speed to another speed so you know 20 going to 2206 and in particular, you know, high torque 2206s that have strong magnets, good air gap, um, and and can really.
push push that out. Um, even you know things like the 0.15 millimeter laminations over 0.2, all of that makes a difference in the torque a motor can produce, which makes a difference in how fast that prop can change speeds. And on you on top of that, you you change your propeller choice to something that's going to give you a faster response time. And the difference in handling between a 2206, uh, you know, 2300 kV on a five by four by four versus a 2205, uh, 2300 kV on the 5x4, 5x3 HBNs, it's a totally different experience. I mean, you you would not, it's just, it blows you away when you fly them back to back. Um, the yeah. difference in handling and the difference in, in crispness. You know, again, for a racer, it doesn't matter that much because, yeah. you know, you're, you're flying at pretty high throttle through most of the course. You're, you're turning fast and it does make a difference there in, in prop wash and some of those characteristics. But where it really makes the biggest difference is when you're doing maneuvers where you want to um, have very crisp uh, stops. So for me, I like to do a lot of, um, you know, like where you, you do a flip and you just stop dead right in the middle of the flip, especially when you're carrying a lot of mass, like a GoPro, when you're doing that, that maneuver, it has to react very quickly in order to make that crisp, that, that stop a crisp stop. So what you get if you've got uh, you know a lower torque motor or even just simply uh, a slower speed prop, even on a high torque motor like these five by four, five by threes, is it wants to go past and then come back. So it's not necessarily an oscillation like you get with low D because it even happens with very high D. Um, in fact, high D can sometimes emphasize it. So what happens is you get this like it like it slaps you when when it when it flips so the only way around that is to either adjust your tune so that it's not making that hard of a slap uh, or you know which then you lose stick feel sometimes depending on how you do it um, or change to a, a a combination that's going to produce faster changes in rpm so sorry i kind of took off there on that one <laughs> no that's that's what we want that's what you're here for <laughs> so that's my you know the 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 high torque motors lightweight props the five by four by fours on on a good 2206 2300 kv are probably one of my favorite setups um oh, honestly if you want to know the truth about why i'm running these it's because they were the only set of purple props i had and creative decks sent me the the purple version of this uh thing with the purple esc covers and i was like well you got to have purple all the way right you got, you, got you, do it, you can't you can't do it halfway <laughs> got to match the handbag and the shoes <laughs> that's right um, so that was uh that was pretty much my motivation there and honestly i was curious to see if i could tune it out um you know tune out the 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 extra weight on those props and i, I was finally able to i don't know if you saw my last video on youtube but i'm pretty pleased with the tune that came out um but it how I had to get there kind of surprised me a little bit. I basically had to slide the set point slider in beta flight all the way to the left. So that basically it's the old measure, not all the way. I mean, I'm maybe three quarters of the way through on the left side. So it's geared more towards the old measurement style of D compensation. And then the, uh, the transition slider is all the way to the right. And based on, based on what I was reading about all of that, I was expecting the transition slider to be more to the left. Um, and that actually ended up making it worse. Um, it finally got better when I split them, you know, opposite ends. And uh, I think it's pretty much solved the problem. So there, the tune is is good. I can still feel the difference between uh, between the response on the five by four by fours and the five by four fives by three HBNs, but it's a lot less pronounced than it than it was. And and it's a tune that's totally flyable. And it's just actually a blast to fly. So, Cody Beast uh one nine eight five where can you get the best efficiency that's an interesting question actually and efficiency in when it comes to motors is is kind of an, an odd question because what we're looking at oftentimes people confuse top throttle current draw with efficiency and that's not efficiency is actually you know a ratio it's not just a solid number so if you're looking in terms of grams per watt some of these really super powerful motors aren't that inefficient, but they draw insane amounts of current at the top of the throttle just because they're also draw, you know, putting out huge amounts of thrust. So in terms of grams per watt, they're not that inefficient, but they're going to kill your batteries. So when you're asking about efficiency, the question becomes, are you talking about grams per watt or are you talking about amps? Because those are two very different questions. It's um, always a trade-off. 
Right. Um, and the truth is that if you look at some of these super powerful motors like the ZMX Fusion or the T2s or, um, you know, any of these motors that are like top of the shelf power, if you actually compare at a specific thrust point to some of the weaker motors, like one of the ones that everybody always talks about being efficient is the, the Lumineer 2206 uh, 2350s, right? They say, oh, they're super efficient motors. But if you look at the thrust point, the, the Lumineers put out about, you know, maybe uh, a little over a kilogram of thrust on a 5x4x3 um, at just over 20 amps, like 20, 21, 22 amps. But if you look at, um, if you look at, like, say, the ZMX Fusion, yeah, it's putting out like 1,300 grams of thrust at, you know, 30 amps on, a five by, on the same prop. Mm. And so you think, oh, this is a wildly inefficient motor, right? I mean, 30 amps versus 21 amps is insane. But then if you look at the actual data and you pull it back so that you're looking at, you know, 1,050 grams, just over a kilogram of, of thrust, yeah, you'll see the same... max is hitting like 19 amps. Yeah, so it's better. So it's actually way more efficient. And you yeah. can, there's a lot of ways you can kind of tell that. Um, so what what's going to be the most efficient motor, and this is really interesting. Uh, you kind of saw this in the ZMX version 3s um, or the Brother Hobby Returner R3s, whichever you want to call them. Uh, we won't get into that whole mess. <laughs> um, the, uh, the, the, they had the 2150 kV. Uh, the 2140 kV and the um, and the 2300 kV. So the 2300 kV put out significantly more um, thrust than again. We'll use that Lumineer just as an example because it's a popular motor um, than the Lumineer. But if you looked at the 2140 kV, it's basically you know over 100 kV less than that 2350 kV Lumineer. But it basically matched or it even exceeded slightly the thrust output of the Lumineer at, at even better efficiency. So when you start dealing with stronger magnets, you know, closer air gaps, all of these things that make motors more powerful on the top end, what it allows you to do if you're looking for efficiency is scale back the KV, get the same actual performance with faster response times and better efficiency. So when it comes to efficiency, you know, a high torque, lower KV motor that's the same weight, uh, you know, like 28 grams is, is a good, is a great weight for efficiency because uh, it reduces the overall weight of your craft, less weight at the out at the ends of the arms. So the pig controller is having to do less work. Um, but all of that, you know, all that plays a role together and, and the lower KV uh, motors are actually putting out as much or more power than the high KV or mid range KV, 2300 KV motors from, you know, six months ago. And they're doing it with better efficiency. So, and even more so as you move up in stator size. So we're looking at some of these new 2207s that are coming out. Like ZMX Fusion has a 2207. Um, there's a bunch of 2207s on the market. So if you go even further with the 2207, that if you can get the weight down, that's the trick of the 2207. Yeah. Get the weight down, your efficiency is going to be absolutely fantastic. That's it. But the thing is with the with getting the weight down, it's like the Emacs Red Bottoms. They are made of cheese. <laughs> you know, like you, you hit something and it, they just, that's it. They bend in, magnets hit the stator, they get all grindy, ruins you, you know, adds loads of vibration, horrible. Yeah. Well, part of the magnets hitting the stator is because these days the air gap between the stator and the magnets is so tight. Uh, the yeah. Emacs in particular are, I mean, I'd say the Emacs are pretty well built when it comes to actual structural integrity. I mean, you hit oh, anything, right enough, it's, it's going to, it's going to break. But yeah. the, the problem with the Emacs is that their tolerances are so tight that any small change makes a, you know, makes an impact in the, in the, like, you'll end up scraping the stators because the gap between the stators and the magnets is already so tight that there's really no room for any flex at all in that. Now, the 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 Emacs S motors that are just coming out have, are going to largely solve that because they have a four millimeter internal shaft. So they're going to be able to take a hit. I think 90% of the damage to the Emacs RSS was when the shaft slightly bent and then those things would start scraping. Yeah. Um, so the, the form, switching to a four millimeter shaft that's going to be a lot less prone to bending, especially with it being hollow, um, is... Uh, the way the you know the way the force is distributed around the shaft 
it's going to be a lot less likely to bend. So I think I think we'll see a pretty significant rise in the durability of of the the motors with the. I mean, we already have, but particularly in the Emacs switching to that four millimeter hollow shaft. They should yeah. be out soon, shouldn't they? The Emacs S. So I mean, you got to give Emacs credit for for taking the criticisms on the S mode on the RS mode of the original RS and and responding with the 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 second S series. I think they did a good job of reacting to reacting to customer input on that one definitely but then they were the big jump everyone was emacs red bottoms get them get them get them they yeah. they've become a staple they you know they are you know they are the good. cobra yeah. motors they are good yeah for good. sure they they totally changed the game i mean it was it blew my mind when when emacs first came out with that motor i was not expecting it at all um, sam sue contacted me and was like hey we've got a new motor coming out will you test it and I said, sure. And so he sent it over and I put that thing on the stand. And you have to remember at that point, Cobra was king. The Cobra 2205, 2300 KV was it. There was nothing else. And the Cobra, we were all like, how does the Cobra get so much thrust? Why can no one beat them? Everybody comes out with motors and no one can beat the Cobra. What's their secret? And then Emacs out of the blue just plops this thing on my desk. And I, I put that thing on the stand, and I remember just giggling like <laughs> when I saw those numbers hit the uh, hit the hit the screen. I was just blown away, and you know, like, it really made me take a second look. Like, what is making this motor so good? And because you know, people say whatever they want about that. Oh yeah, this has whatever magnets, and and I was I didn't necessarily believe the marketing hype on the the, the N52 magnets until I put that thing on the stand. But it definitely lived up to the hype on that one. It, I mean, it totally changed the game. We, it, it, it forced a revolution in motor design that no one saw coming. No. Because like, everyone wanted Cobra, didn't they? Everyone. I, yeah. Until they it's started been, problems. Until they had uh, quality issues, yeah. Right, yeah. And, Q, and something like QC issues. Perfect for Emacs and, as well. Honestly, I feel like, you know, looking at it from my perspective, I feel like a lot of the QC issues were a little overblown simply because there were so many people who had them. I mean, Emacs produced thousands and thousands of these motors and, and they're just ubiquitous. So when you get that kind of volume, you're going to have problems. And I think that a lot of, there were a lot of vocal people who had problems. And unfortunately, Emacs's failing has been in the support side of things. They're not great at dealing with it when, or at least traditionally they haven't been, um, you know, when there are problems, dealing with their support department has been slow. I know a lot of people have had trouble with that. So, but I think still in the, in the large scheme of things, the, the failure rate of the Emacs was not necessarily that high. It's Emacs just... Or Cobra. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, similar similar issues with the Cobra. Well, you know, I don't know. The Cobra had an awful lot of trouble there for a yeah, while. It had a lot more, didn't it? Yeah, I think it was. I think it would. That was a significantly worse problem than than yeah. what Emacs faced. Um, Emacs had a few bad batches. They had some issues with the shafts that were bad in one batch. They had they had a bad batch with the circ clips that were that were failing. Um, but I mean, that was over within a few months, I think. And uh, then, of course, you know, there's the high clone rate, which those were crap and caused all kinds yeah, of problems. That was but, a problem. but Cobra consistently had magnet problems for months. In fact, you know, last I heard, some of their even more recent batches of the old design were still having the magnet problems. But the to be fair, the new Champion series totally solved that problem. Um, the design is significantly better, and I haven't heard any issues with the Champion slipping magnets. Um, so I'm not sure what the issue was there. I think the primary issue with Cobra and the reason why Cobra lost so many um, supporters and, you know, loyal customers was simply the way they handled it. It was kind of a textbook example of bad, uh, bad public relations. <laughs> and, and you had state at gate as well. Oh, right. Yeah. The whole issue with it being 2205 instead of 2204 and labeling it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's a similar issue there. Like that didn't necessarily have to be a bad problem. But the way they handled it was bad. It's you know I I come from my background is in media and and I as part of my undergraduate degree I took a bunch of public relations classes and literally that is like the examples that are in the textbook of how not to handle <laughs> handle a, a business crisis. We so, are your worst nightmare here at Let's Drone Out. We are <laughs> so like out public relation. I need to upload some some episodes yes, in Jack. the chat. In the chat, someone was like, I thought this podcast was dead. 
because <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Holy, I was I've been waiting for uh, for some files and stuff. I will get on it. I will. You're behind. Like, that is your job tomorrow. Yeah, that's it. Not leave and yeah, maybe. Maybe, like, you know, we could have Frank and Quad McFly just double-teaming us and, and get, <laughs> getting some efficiency numbers out of me. What are you guys uh, doing? Yeah, yeah, I know. All right, um, I've, I've got a question that I've, I've been wanting to ask. Um, for people who have just kind of got into the hobby and started picking a few things up, what would, what would your recommendation, uh, recommendations be? Now, for example... Uh, I'm looking for things where they'll they'll last and they'll allow you to grow. So, like, mm-hmm. if you just sit there and work your way around the quad and be like, I'd go for these motors because, and then I'd go with these ESCs because they've only just come out and they're really good, or you know, sure. and you know, whatever. Just the, the your safe bet for a really good performing, you know. Well, I think, you know, I, I say this a lot and, and it probably gets old after a while, but my, my answer to a lot of questions is it depends, Yeah, (laughs) you know, it depends on what you're looking for. And I'm going to get a lot of hate for this probably, but for a lot of people out there, I honestly think that a ready to fly kit is probably one of the best options. Um, I, there are some really good ones out there that are really not bad and not everybody wants to spend hours with a soldering iron and spend hours understanding the, the, you know, how the firmware uploads work and how to update ESC settings and and all these things. And like, I love that stuff. You know, I, I live for that. I, I come from an, you know, an engineering background, at least partially. And, um, you know, that my brain works like that. So for me, that's, that's fantastic. Um, but not everybody is like that. And if, Told, I think there's a lot of tone he was a sadist. In, there's a lot of pressure in this community, I think, to con, kind of conform to that stereotype as far as yeah. being technical. But I don't think that this hobby has to be that way. Um, I think that it's perfectly acceptable for someone to buy a TBS Vendetta or, uh, you, you know, the Immersion RC, um, what's their ready-to-fly one, the Vortex. The Vortex, Vortex Pro. Um, yeah, and they're they're fantastic. They fly great. They take zero effort to uh, zero effort to set up. I mean, the tune you don't have to tune because somebody else has already done all that for you. So if you're looking to get into the hobby and you just want to fly and you you want to you want a quad that's going to go fast and handle well, um, and you don't want to build everything, then don't worry about the stigma about ready to fly packages. I think that that they're a fantastic option. Um, and I know there's, there, like I said, there's a lot of people who who kind of feel like that that's the cheater's way out or whatever. But I I really don't have a problem with that. There's some um, good I, ones now. There wasn't a couple of months, like six months ago. Or maybe, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the first generation Vortex was a little bit rough. Um, and that, that came out, what, about a, a little over a year ago? Yeah. Um, so and that's pretty much all there was for a while. Um, but the second gen Vortex and the the Vendetta are both fantastic. Um, I know like Isheen and some of these others have come out with some ready to fly packages that aren't bad. I'd be hesitant to recommend those simply because I am not sold necessarily on their long term. Yeah, because um, you know how long they're gonna last. Yeah, because uh, the um, yeah, like for instance, the Walk Hero Runner. Oh mm-hmm. my word! Like that, that really did like miss the the spot and i've i've seen a few people come up with it i mean um the oh what was it the the emacs nighthawk that was pretty good it yeah, was just like, review on that. yeah but you know i mean it it's it it still can stand up to time now do you know what i mean you can just flash it with beta flight and it yeah. will still you can still crank a bit well. of performance out of it and you know but it's those escs that are on board i don't know how you go about flashing those yeah they're a little bit yeah only so you know i would say the first thing to address as an as a newbie into the uh into the hobby is what route do you want to take do you want to get into the technical side and learn you know escs and custom building and how to use a soldering iron and do all that stuff or do you just want to fly that's the first question yeah well, the only the only downside that I find with ready to fly packages is there's there's a kind of flip side to it. One where 
if you buy a ready-made package, like for instance, the company Radio C, they they kind of like assemble theirs and then ship it out, and um, that that's a good way because you can just take the top plate off and you can see which wires go where, and that's kind of you know you just take a photo or you copy another arm and and go from there, and you can kind of see it's it's easier when you've got something physical in front of you and you can you can see it and it's it's all there in front of you but um the other side of it is there's a lot of people that you know do get like a ready to fly package or get their friends to build it and when they crash then they do struggle to to make those repairs and, and that's, um, you know that that's why it's worth i think if you're going to get one to get one from something where there's a where there's a support infrastructure in place like yeah. immersion rc has really good support of their product line um a lot of local hobby shops here in the states are selling the vortex so if you break it you take it back to the local hobby shop they fix it they give it back so you know again you don't have to uh you don't have to be you don't have to be a techie necessarily uh, if you're willing to pay for repairs. Yeah. Yes. That's how I If you're going to get into the technical side, it's worth it to, to, you know, have something that's either a easier to repair or B that you can, that you can you build yourself and really understand how it works. And I think, I think that there's, there's definitely still, you know, that, I think the majority of people are going to end up that route just because of the nature of this hobby. I just, I don't like to see people belittled or, you know, seen as inferior for, for going the ready to fly route. Um, I still like to see them and encourage them to get into the technical side, because I think that in, in, to a certain extent, a large part of the strengths of our hobby is in the educational aspects. Um, in the fact that you can learn how this stuff works. You can, you can understand the basics of computer programming. You can understand, you know, electricity and, and how all of that works. You can learn about electronics and about how induction works and why all these things work together, basic aerodynamics. You know, to me, that's one of the really, the really strong points of this hobby is from an educational perspective, not just for kids. I mean, we've got a huge section, you know, the polls you see on mini quad club and things, uh, the majority of people who are in this hobby, in the circles in which I move, are in their 30s and 40s because we have expendable income, right? So that's where we are. But I still think it's a learning tool. I think that those people coming in, not all of them have an engineering background. Some of them do. But even the ones who do, you're still learning something every time you pick one of these up. And that's the power of this hobby in general. And I think the community recognizes that. So, you know, I've kind of gone, I'm, I'm an academic it's true. <laughs> I like the wavy hands. Sorry, that makes me an academic. Sorry, um, I've kind of gone off from the practical side of the question into the theoretical side yeah. of the question. Yeah, the, the, is one, an eternal failing. Yeah, one one thing that totally does me is when I recommend when yeah when I recommend uh, products and then they they go discontinued. There was a lot. Is it the ZMX motors and stuff like that? Like how I have yet to figure out a way of getting around that. Exactly. Well, you can do what I do and not make specific recommendations. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Just tiptoe around well, it. You know, I think it, it goes back to that. Like, you, you, don't, you don't give a man fish. You teach him to fish, right? I mean, that's the yeah. old saying. Um, so if you teach people, and that's, that's honestly one of the primary purposes of my website and why I do what I do, is because I want people to understand and I want people to be able to, to look at something and, and learn how to evaluate it. Um, what, what we have to do is be able to to re help people recognize what makes a good product and what makes a good motor um, beyond just a specific motor. Uh, you know, there's combinations of things to look for when you're evaluating a motor. It doesn't have to be a specific motor. What you need to know is, is are things like, you know, how, how, how good are the bearings in the motor? How tight is the air gap between the stators? That's going to tell you a lot about performance. Um, what yeah. types of magnets are used in, in the motor? Um, all these things are, are pieces of information that you can put together to get a pretty good picture of where that motor is going to sit in the performance. Oh, sorry, I love it. Tony slowly, slowly switching off. Um, how did you get started in the hobby, man? Just well, oh, I, I kind of sort of partially answered that already, but, but um, yeah. no, like really, like what was your first exposure? Um, well, I, I work here at the university, and uh, part of my job is to manage student workers that uh, 
that do a lot of the production work. So I'm in charge of, of the uh, creative side of our online courses here at the university. So I do a lot of programming and interactive design and video production and the creative side of the content that gets created for the university. Um, so I manage student workers as part of that. And one of my student workers uh, was really into it. I'd, I'd been watching it for a while and kind of been interested in flying things. And as I said, I'd already been into robotics, uh, making my own robots to drive around my house and stuff out of scrap parts. Um, so... Uh, he he had a tricopter, and I started asking a lot of questions. And uh, this was back in the day, you know, the the Windestall tri. And um... quick, Jack's gonna find these now. It's on your page. <laughs> It'll be on your page on the right hand side. Hold so uh, he, uh, we just started talking, and he got me into it. We put together a parts list, and my first quad was a. Uh, oh yeah, there it is. His was a little bigger that. than that. Yeah. This was the old school one, the big, you know, the first one that David came up with. And it was with the wooden, you know, it was just the plant. Wooden booms. The, yeah. The wooden booms. Um, which and it, it, meant, it, it meant an untimely death not too long after that. Um, it crashed oh. into the road and got run over like four times. So. Oh. <laughs> so um, my first build was uh, – was, uh, um, a knockoff uh, flame wheel 330, the the F330, the little frame, and I never could get it to fly right. I used crap motors from Hobby King. Um, everything it was, you know, the flip 1.5, and it just yeah. it, it, as soon as I took off, it's just too much oscillations, overwhelmed the gyro, and like would not land. So that cost me a lot in broken parts and ego. Um, <laughs> and ready uh, to fly quads, man. Ready, Paul would look look after you, man. That was. That that was the only way to like get get through it, you know. Like he would great custom support, flash stuff. Tone, did you get your stuff yet? No, is White Spy listening? I don't know. I don't. I don't I'm not too if sure. If you're listening, please send my gear. <laughs> um, before Saturday, but I know you live in Florida, so it probably won't happen. But it's always interesting to watch the progression as people get into quads because, you know, you start out with the 450s. Like that was I, – I abandoned the 330 and got a flame wheel 450, and that flew great for a while. And then you start going bigger, right? Everybody thinks, oh, that's great. Let's go bigger. So everybody starts to go bigger at first. And then and then eventually you realize, eh, bigger is not that great. And then you start going smaller, and then we all end up with the with the FPV mini quads. Yeah. <laughs> it's inevitable. It just it, – it always happens. That's it. I got someone to build my first ever quad. I just randomly found someone. He sent me the transmitter and built a QAV, my QAV, my first ever quad. Nice. Which I nearly gave up so many times flying. I was like, in, in, in. I was like, no. So glad you're so persistent or we would never have met you. No, you. (laughs) Tony's like a linchpin in this community. A Jesus pit, some might say, <laughs> of destruction. Um, of destruction. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Tony breaks everything. We had a question about hollow point motors. Do you want to just give you a little two cents on that? Um, which now? What's your opinion on speed rate ESCs are getting to, and what does the motor, uh, and what it does to the motor? Can it handle the pace? N52 magnets worth it? Question mark from Bradders FBV. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the the stronger magnets make a massive difference. Um, I'm, I'm not sure I understood the question about the speed hang controller. Just saying, if the, the hang on, hang on, hang faster, on. Are you talking about the faster protocol speeds? Whether the motors can keep up? Yeah, um, we had. Hang on a minute. I got chat. Hang on. It might have been me dyslexically reading out that question really badly. Probably. So, so, speed rate. so the update rates. Yeah, gotcha. the update rate. Because there's only a certain amount of speed that you can get out of a motor, right. you know, before it won't, you know, it That's won't good. do anything. Because you have to kind of split it into parts because you have the gyro rate, you have the PID controller rate, and then you have the ESC update rate. So you've got three kind of pieces, moving pieces when it comes to flight control firmware um, and the, the whole, well, the whole, you know, line of, uh, of the, the processing line. Yeah. Yeah, tri tricopter. Yes. Sorry, I just thought that. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, Power of so, compels you. You know the 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 motor's ability to change speed is 100 percent the bottleneck. I mean, uh, my tests have measured 
you know, you're not really seeing transition speeds faster than maybe 150 milliseconds, 130 milliseconds, depending on the prop. Uh, you know, you've got maybe a 50 millisecond difference between the super lightweight props and the, the really heavy props, maybe more on some of the props. But the, the range of props that most of us fly are kind of in this, this between 150 and 200 millisecond range from the time the, the motor receives the command till the time it actually can execute change. Maybe less depending on how far of a range you're, you're asking. So the, the, the bottleneck is definitely in the motor. Now, the faster speed controllers, I think, definitely have an impact. And latency tends to be additive through the whole system. So every time you add latency, that latency adds to what's already there. So removing any sort of latency in the system is going to reduce the end-to-end -end latency. So it's hard to predict where all of these things line up. I, I think that when it comes to the ESC update rates, there is a practical limit to the point where you're just sending the motor the same commands and it's just, it's gonna change as fast as it's gonna change. But yeah. I don't think it hurts anything either. So um, there, you know, depending on the setup, the, the one risk that you run with super fast uh, update rates is that every time the ESC receives a signal, it has to process something. It's, it's triggered by an interrupt um, in the processor. So by sending a 32 kilohertz update rate, it's possible to saturate the MCU in terms of how much processing it can actually do, depending on how fast the motor is spinning and other load factors in the MCU. So, you know, this is why there was a practical limit on those F330 MCUs back in the day. You couldn't run more than four kilohertz, not because, you know, not because of an electrical limit, but because of a processing limit yeah. in the CPU. It just couldn't process the interrupts that fast. So, um, and that led to the overclocking of the no, nays 32 well that and that's you know the in the nays part that's it's less of an issue because the mcus the the 32-bit all the 32-bit microcontrollers actually support um hardware a hardware hardware pwm peripheral so if you mm. unsync the uh the esc output from the from the pid loop it's actually process it, it actually costs nothing to the mcu to go to a higher rate mm. from the flight controller side so 32 kilohertz, 16 kilohertz, 8 kilohertz doesn't make any difference to the processing output at all because it's all being processed through an external hardware peripheral. Um, so that, you know, on the on the flight controller side, it's really not an issue as far as MCU saturation goes. It's really only a, an issue on the ESC side. So the question is being, does it actually make a difference? And that's really, really hard to nail down. Um, so can I, ask, can I ask a dumb question? So what's... Uh, why was there a big push for the um, SPI instead of the IC2, IC squared? Oh, now, that actually right. makes a huge difference, and that's a slightly different issue. So okay. uh, I don't know if maybe I can come to that in a minute um, after after we finish with the, answering this one question. But, yep. um, yeah, I don't – I think some pilots might be able to feel a difference, but for the vast majority of pilots, the difference between 16 – kilohertz on the motor on the ESC output rate and 32 kilohertz on the ESC output rate is going to be almost nothing. Um, I, I don't think it's going to make a difference. Now, you start getting lower and the difference starts being more. So, you know, the jump from 4 kilohertz to 8 kilohertz and then 8 kilohertz to 16, I think, has, changed, has impact. It's that last jump from 16 to 32 that I'm not 100% sold on yet. Um, and even the jump from 8 to 16 is only going to make a difference on certain setups where you know the variables are right on a slower setup like a 2205 with the hbn 5x4 5x3s it may not make much a difference because the bottleneck is so much in the motors and the props um so uh you know i it's really hard to nail down definitively one way or another um i did some preliminary testing um several months ago where i did some twitch tests with uh with the esc output and uh, the data seemed to, to suggest that at 32 kilohertz, there was a small increase in uh, in in like the ability of the the motor to respond, um, but it was very undefinitive. Like it was fractional, and it is entirely possible that it was just noise. Um, that's how you know I would have to run the test many different ways and you know run it through all kinds of algorithms to see if it was actually statistically relevant and not just noise in the system. Um, but uh, it's uh, it's it's uh, it's really hard to to nail down definitively um, mm. where where that line is. Now I think there's definitely benefits to running 
the gyro and the pig loop at a faster rate because you always want the the most recent information available yeah. to the system. So running those at the fastest rate possible is going to be really critical. And that's part of why you see an impact on the ESC output rate too, because then the most recent information is what was sent to the motor. But, you know, with the motor being lagging behind, it's still it's questionable on the ESC output rate. Yeah, but the gyro rate and the PID rate, to me, like it's never going to be a problem to run those as fast as possible. It's always going to be some sort of improvement. You know, again, percentage-wise, how much of an improvement is hard to gauge. Um, but I think it particularly gives an advantage in um, in extreme situations like prop wash situations where you're making hard 180 turns and you're really pushing the limits of the system. If you're really pushing the limits and you're really constantly like pushing things as hard as you can, I think that you're going to notice a difference on those higher rates on the flight controller and on the uh, and on the you know on the the gyro and the PID controller. So that you know, it change, it just changes the speed at which the information can be gathered. And so the latest information is always the information that's being sent um, to, to react. Interesting. And, yeah. you know, I squared C severely limits that. So that's, you know, going back to your question as far as is yeah. why there's the big push for SPI. And to illustrate, to illustrate the point of the, the difference between I squared C and SPI, I still run a CC3D, the original CC3D on three or four different quads at 8K and 2K. So 8K gyro, 2K pit loop. And it outperforms by significant margin the F3 boards that I've tried that are running that are running an I squared C gyro. Like the older the the tornado and some of the old the original F3 boards, the Sparky mm. Sparky Sparky? Yeah, the original Sparky one. Yeah, Sparky and one. the CFC Pro board. Yeah, and the SP uh, SPR F3 and yep, yep, yep. So all of those, you know, the, the CC3D, which is a, you know, a decade old board almost. Um, well, I don't know how old it is when it first came out, but it's Pony. It's, old. It's, Shut up. It's just like, I'm sure you were there when they were, mate, well, you were there, you know. You were there so it, but it was one of the first 32-bit boards that was out there, and it's still, it's still relevant today because of the SPI gyro. So yeah. that's, you know, that kind of illustrates the, the importance of, of that. You know, having a slower MCU is less critical than having a faster gyro. You know, there is a lot of problems with the the what the six hundred gyros and you know how sensitive they are to noise and that. I mean, are you a believer the in 6, that? Five hundred versus the yeah, 6, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And again, I mean, I've run I ran a Lux for a long time without problems, and it's you know this, the whole soft mounting thing is a really interesting thing, and I, I definitely come down on the side of it never hurts to soft mount. Again, you can see. You can see here I'm running the uh, the rubber bobbins there, oh, yeah. and I've this is what I was running on the Lux, and I've literally flown the Lux back with a prop bent at 90 degree angles without any problems at all um, with that setup. So, uh, and there's you know there's electrical issues involved in all of this. The the noise floor of the 3.3 volt rail that supplies power to the IMU makes a huge difference in the ability of the IMU to to you know the noise well the noise the physical noise floor on the IMU is tied to the noise floor of the 3.3 volt supply line. So if it's not done properly, if you don't have an isolated 3.3 uh, volt uh, power supply for the IMU separate from the CPU, you know, you can run into problems there. So, but yeah, the, to be fair, the, 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 the MPU 6,000 is much less sensitive to that, particularly yeah. to the voltage supply issues. So it's, it's a pretty good bet. But you know you're you're limited max to to eight kilohertz on the on the uh, the MPU six thousand. Whether more is useful is again another another question for debate. That's really hard to give a definitive answer to. Um, yeah. It's pretty much as far as I can tell. It's it's mostly pilot opinion <laughs> on so that we, one. Do we need F four boards yet? Then, or we can we still push F three boards? I think we need F four with at least with beta flight um, because of the advanced nature of the, the PID controllers and the filters, we're pushing the limits of the MCU processing power there. Um, I I've switched entirely to F4. I, I won't fly. I mean, I still have a few F3s, but um, anything I buy new, I'm always buying an F4. There's no point in purchasing something that's basically already out of date uh, in my opinion. So um, does anyone, the, uh, does anyone know what F the kiss board is? 
the kiss is an F1. If I remember. <laughs> oh, it's an F3. Sorry. It's an F3. It's an yeah. F3, but it's an I squared C gyro. Uh, okay. So no, it's okay. the F3, the 303. Yeah. Um, but they're, you know, they're taking a totally different approach to, to the whole problem. It's, it's, uh, it's really interesting to see the different approaches. You know, there's a lot of kind of conflict between the communities sometimes, and it gets a little frustrating, but the, you know, between race flight and beta flight and clean flight oh, yeah. and kiss and all of that stuff, there's always this conflict going on. But I think, in my opinion, the diversity of, of approaches and the diversity of, of methodologies is really good because we end up with different innovations out of different groups. You know, yeah. we've got D-Shot out of Felix, fantastic innovation there, you know, and that's spreading around. We've got different focuses in these different groups that are all focusing on different things and coming up with different innovations. Um, Betaflight has really pioneered some of the advanced filtering and some of the advanced PID controller stuff. Uh, you know, Raceflight is pioneering the, the high update rates um yeah and and kiss is focused more on on you know the smoothness of things and the integration and the the digital protocols which is great and and it's great to me to see that focus on all of these different platforms coming together you know completely to make the hobby a better place so i i get eventually they'll all meet they'll all integrate and then they'll be all in one place right so you know and then it gives it gives good choice to the users. People can decide what's a priority for them, and they can go with that priority. And I, you know, I, I, I'd like to see the communities be a little more friendly to each other in the end. But uh, you know, I think the the diversity the diversity of thought is is good for the hobby. Anytime you get into this mono way of thinking, where everybody is thinking the same way, it means that you're on a decline. So that's that's, that's why we have Tony here. Tony, <laughs> yes, flat. And lizard people are in charge. <laughs> I think he's Don't an idiot. Started. <laughs> yeah. So you know, like they, they, we don't judge here. You know. <laughs> I mean, you know. Well, I've just flown um, an F4 board going from uh, F3 board um, <laughs> from F4 F3 to F4 race flight, and it felt amazing. Really, yeah. really like a different kettle of fish. Yeah, I mean, even on Betaflight, I can tell a significant difference between the F3 and the F4 simply simply because the filters are able to be more effective, you know, as far as they're taking less CPU overhead. Even if it's minimal, there's still less wait time between the cycles. And, you know, like, it's even if it's technically the same cycle speed, the the less overhead in the F4 means that you're getting less variation. That's where the big difference to me between the F4 and the... And the um, and the F3 is, is that the F4 is much more stable. So you're getting, you're getting the same, basically the same timings every time. Whereas the, you, if you look at the loop, like the loop times on the, on the F3s, you start getting a lot of jumping around. Um, that's, I always ran on synced on the F3s because the, uh, you know, to, to get the ESC update rate, because I was getting jitter problems if I ran it synced on the F3s. And you don't necessarily have to on the F4s, but I'm still running on synced on the F4s just, because I like it, <laughs> but um, yeah. So it's you know all those little things add up. So soon be F seven and NFA. You know, well, yeah. yeah, they're working on the F sevens already in race flight. I'm not sure if Beta Flight is working on those or not. Yeah, Tony, Tony just gets a bit upset. That he has to learn how to count further. <laughs> <laughs> when it gets to our past ten, I'm knackered. Yeah, that's it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Start using his toes, like I know I'm. I'm struggling to I'm trying to trying to keep up and trying the the D shot and it, 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 so fast. That's why. Yeah, and um, it's just yeah. You're right. It's you know like it's still in um, developer mode, and it's you know like I'm getting the is it the IMI overload, and then I'm getting dead duck mode, and my car just drops out the sky, <laughs> which is pretty hilarious but i still decide to fly it halfway across the field to a barn because that's, yeah. that's a smart thing to do isn't it really? well <laughs> yeah um, so and then poor tony has to go rescue my quad from <laughs> yeah make him <laughs> sounds good yeah he, he's much more lighter he like he's like a gazelle he's just over that fence he loves it yeah <laughs> all right um i've noticed the time it's 906 and the longer these go on even though i'm enjoying myself um it's more editing more, more editing so i'm gonna have to but you are welcome <laughs> back anytime like we really enjoyed you i kind of wish this is probably not appropriate to say but i kind of wish that you and joshua bardwell could have babies 
Well, you know, Joshua is actually pretty close to me here. I'm in Chattanooga and he's in Knoxville. So uh, yeah. we actually run into each other periodically at the at some, you know, group meetups and things. Man, do you ever like introduce him to your students and like, here you go. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's awesome. You guys play together though? Every now and then. Uh, we don't uh, have as much chance to recently, but uh, um, we've we've flown a couple of uh, back back you know almost a year ago i think we uh we we did a couple of races where our group from chattanooga and the group from knoxville kind of got together and i ran into joshua there oh man sorry i just i love how you're like still soft mounting your your flight controller that really does come from the 450 days that really does where you had no choice you know you yeah you didn't have a choice yeah you had mounting screws but you never used them (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah when i first met you you used to um buy cd mounting rings you know the little yeah but we never do that i never mount soft mount anything anymore but you used to always buy the cd little yeah mounts for cds uh drives and always put them on my quads yeah i know Don't it, do that i want it done again do it all i know it's, <laughs> yeah it's like three pound fifty fifty of them well there's <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because there's a lot of guys who kind of approach it and they just put the rubber grommet and put a screw through it but it's like that totally defeats the purpose if it's uh it's still hard mounted onto something yeah, it's still hard to like, oh, that didn't do any good at all dumb uh, off. oh there we go i swore yeah sorry ah don't wind me up that's your fault. <laughs> right, thank you. You have been listening to Let's Drone Out, a Halloween special. I hope you're all scared and like, you know, hang on, I'll put my put my costume back on. Hopefully Thank you. I'm wishing you a great Halloween and uh, hopefully you'll take some carrier bags to your pods <laughs> and throw them around. So, happy Halloween. You've been joined by Claude McFly, Gary Tony. Boom. <laughs> Might be bright till I fly. And um oh, yeah. <laughs> you're it. Look, well, thanks for having me, guys. Fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you for leaving Cheers, work early, by the way. What, huh? Missed that. You left part. work early. Thank you. Oh yeah. Yeah. I I took my lunch break late, actually, is what I what I ended uh, up doing. <laughs> oh, thanks very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. I hope everyone enjoyed and happy Halloween. Au revoir. Telemetry lost.